0: the voice of motown west virginia's leader in news analysis and rumors proudly presents the voice of motown podcast featuring your boys brandon and tyler take it away gentlemen all
1: right the west virginia mountaineers defeat the texas longhorns 31 to 23
0: this is the voice of motown podcast i'm tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans.
1: All right, the Mountaineers are now 5-6, and six, and they are one victory away from becoming bowl eligible. Meanwhile, Texas is on a six-game losing streak, and they are going to end this year with a losing record for the first time since 2016. It was nice to see a solid outing from the West Virginia offense. I mean, they played well from start to finish, dominated time of possession, and converted 60% of their third downs. It was truly uh, one of their best performances of the year, in my opinion. And as for the defense, despite giving up a lot of rushing yards, the defense had a solid performance as well. What are your thoughts on the game on Saturday?
0: Yeah, I I was happy with the way that the team came out um, and handled Texas. I mean, I was kind of worried. After um, that loss to Kansas State, that they might come out a little bit flat, but they came out on top of their game. Um, we got that fifth win that we've been looking for for, it seems like, forever. Um, and now we're one win away against the worst team in the Big 12 to become bowl eligible. So we're in the right position um, for where ultimately we kind of wanted to be, which is bowl eligible. Obviously, maybe not necessarily as many wins as we would like to have right now, but um, getting to a bowl is still a good goal and um you know ultimately we could still end up with seven wins so exciting
1: yeah absolutely um overall that game left everyone feeling good i thought even though texas is not a very good football team like we mentioned they're currently on a six game losing streak they're not gonna make a bowl game but a win's a win and uh these are the type of games that neil brown needs to win so i don't take games like this for granted Plus, there's a lot of positives to take away from this, I thought. Third down conversions. Uh, Those were the big difference for me. That's really what decided the game. We went 12 for 20 and even converted a big fourth down in the fourth quarter, which killed some more clock. Um, Some of the most important ones, Sam James getting the first touchdown of the game on a third and seven. Jared Daigie converted a third and 18 on West Virginia's 17-yard line to Winston Wright. And that happened when the game was 21-17. And Texas was kind of building some momentum at that point. So that was a huge swing in our favor. Plus, WVU ends up getting their final touchdown on that drive as well. Then early in the fourth quarter, Dagey converts a third and 15 from WVU's own 20-yard line with a pass to Reese Smith. So, I mean, these plays were huge because although the game never really felt like it was in jeopardy, this was only an eight-point win. So it's not like West Virginia won in a blowout. Um, I think this game also showed how good the Mountaineers can be when their offense is helping their defense out. Texas did start with good field position really very often. I, I can't really even think of one possession. And West Virginia's defense had room to work with. And so that uh, bend and don't break attitude, um, it, it actually worked because we weren't working with short field on defense. Uh, and that's why we were able to allow so many rushing yards and yet only give up 23 points. So a lot of positives to take away from this game.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I thought it was really awesome how we rebounded too on that drive where we started out with, I believe, two sacks. Um, I think we hit a 19-yarder and a 20-yard pass, um, only a couple plays apart after that. And you know, it just kind of goes to show show the resilience that we had and the determination the- that we had to. Um, finish the game and win. Um, And that was great to see. Um, You know, I love the way Letty ran, which we'll touch on that a little bit later, going into that a little bit more in detail. But, you know, the defense was great. I mean, especially after those two long touchdowns that they let. um, They could have fell apart. They could have started reaching, but they stayed composed. And they buckled down and they held them out. I mean, um, Texas made that quarterback change in the second half and Card was doing really well. Um, They started working in Keelan Robinson um, in the first half. Um, and he was a much more effective than Roshan Johnson. Um, and even though th- those two players made a difference for Texas offensively, after they started off flat, the defense still found a, w- found, found a way to make sure that um, they didn't fall apart and that they could get the ball back to the offense when we needed to. So overall, you know, really well and a lot of opportunities where we could have fallen apart and, you know, let Texas get back into the game and beat us and we stood firm, and that's a great sign.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, a lot to get into with the individual performances, but before we do that, uh, we're going to talk about some big news that happened on Saturday. Um, So the news broke that Jared Daigie is returning next year for his sixth collegiate season, stating he has unfinished business and that he and Bryce Ford Wheaton are just getting started. Um, of course, Bryce Ford Wheaton coming back next year because he's only a junior. Um, so a lot to unpack here. I kind of have mixed feelings about the situation. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of Mountaineer fans are outraged. So um, I, I'll, I'll let you go first on this news.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, I would have liked it to be announced another way. Um, I don't like the way that Deggie handled it. I, I'm not exactly sure a better way to do it. Um, I I feel like he probably could have got ahead of it, but just to kind of recap what was announced during the game by ESPN, not someone WVU related. Um, So Taylor McGregor from ESPN announced that. um, DeGgy stated that he referenced, he referenced leading the big 12 and passing multiple times this season. And she noted his comments touched on if that's what he could do this year with another year in this offense and another year to develop with his receivers, it feels like this team could be even more special next year. Um, You know, as you recall, both Deggy and Neil Brown have been noncommittal on this in the previous weeks. And, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, with Deggy not walking with seniors, it should have been something that was addressed, you know, before the game. Um, So not to take fans by surprise. Um, You know, I'm hoping, I'm sure, but I'm hoping that Neil Brown was in the loop on this. Um, And then kind of my other concern is that, you know, reading between the lines, it kind of sounds like. Deggie seems to think, or something's been promised to him where he will inherit the job next year um, without going through another competition. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe what he said was misinterpreted, but that's just kind of the way I read it. And, you know, we've talked multiple times about how Neil Brown has kind of treated Deggie differently. And it kind of makes me just feel like he's he's entitled to something that the other quarterbacks aren't. And there's already rumors circulating that Will Crowder might transfer um, so, you know, th- those are quarterbacks we don't want to lose. And I know we have Nico coming in and I know that, you know, his future could be bright Nico's, um, but, you know, it kind of leaves a lot of questions for next season. You know, a, a season where we have a lot of players returning, a lot of juniors on this year's team. Uh, I feel like we could have a really good year next year, but with Deggie, it seems like his ceiling is capped at, at seven wins. Um, so kind of where I'm at after hearing that is that, you know, I would really like to see us get to eight wins next year with Deggy because that would be an improvement. I'm not sure if we can do that, but that would kind of be my baseline for, for, Neil Brown. Um, if he was starting a younger quarterback, if he was starting Nico or Crowder or green or someone else, um, I would give him a little bit more leeway. I would probably say, you know, six wins would be my new benchmark. But the reason that I say that is because in two years, the offense is going to look completely different. I mean, think of all the juniors that we have on this team. We have um, – that will be seniors next year. Bryce Ford Wheaton, Winston Wright, Sean Ryan, Sam James. On the offensive line, James Gmitter, Doug Nestor, both our tight ends, TJ Banks, Michael Laughlin. And then, obviously, um, at the center, we have uh, Zach Frazier, who is only a sophomore, but with the way he's been playing, he could very well leave early for the draft. So – In two years, if we're starting Nico, a first-year starter, um, and then we're replacing two-thirds of our – three-fifths of our offensive line, um, it just kind of goes to a never-ending cycle of excuses that we can make to why this team isn't performing to the level that we need it to. And I want to avoid that and kind of set a baseline.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Like I said, I have mixed feelings, and you kind of hit on a lot of the reasons why I I have mixed feelings. First off, if Daggy comes back, chances are Green and Crowder are leaving, at least I would think. I mean, that would give Nico a year to learn the system, and then he would probably start after that, would be my guess, if everything works out and his hype is real. Um, I hope those guys don't leave. I hope at, at least one of those two stay But chances are they wouldn't, and I wouldn't blame them at all. I mean, why would you stay with the school where it looks like you really don't have a a good future to start? Because they're still very young; they could go to another school, and um, and and, you know they still have a long career ahead of them. Now, starting Dagi next year probably gives you the best chance to win immediately, if we're being honest. Which I know a lot of fans don't want to hear, but that probably is the truth. Not unless Green or Crowder really improve in the off season, and um, and and that's really the question. Would you rather have another six to seven win season, or would you rather gamble and possibly have a disastrous season with an unknown quarterback? Now, of course, the gamblers would say, "Well, yeah, it could be disastrous, or it could be really good." Um. So who knows? Um. the The one good thing everyone can take from this news. Is Daggy would be an excellent backup um, or a filling guy if an injury occurs, and so it would be good to have him on the roster for that purpose. But like, kind of like how you, what you were alluding to, if Daggy comes back, chances are he's the one starting next year. And I feel like we've seen Daggy ceiling, and it's it's not that high. I mean, he'll beat the average to below average teams, but I don't think Daggy is a quarterback that can get you nine to ten wins um which should be West Virginia's ceiling on years that West Virginia peaks they should be getting 9 10 wins and um yeah i mean you kind of alluded to 8 would be Daggy's quarter or or would be his ceiling if he's the starting quarterback and i would agree i i would i would think more than likely it would only be 6 or 7 wins but you know if you know if he if he's really peaking maybe 8 wins and uh, fans just have to ask themselves, is is that okay? Are they happy with that? I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah. It, it, and to the point about the wins, too, I, I, I think um, going back to to Deggy's last performance, um, just to kind of go off topic a little bit, um, you know, and a lot of fans are going to come out saying, well, it's great Deggie's coming back now. He was just, you know, big Twelve player of the week. He had a great showing, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, what 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 Deggy kind of reminds me at quarterback is um, being in a bad abusive relationship or something where you're going to have two really good weeks and you're going to be like, all right, there he is. There's the quarterback that we're seeing that, that we've been wanting to see he's growing as a person. Then he's going to give you two back to back weeks where you're going to want him off the team. And that's just the reality of it. And you know, that's fine as a quarterback that you have, but eventually you're going to want to upgrade from that. And you know, I think it's a tough situation for a head coach because Neil Brown is so comfortable with Deggie um, to go out there with the unknown. And I know Neil Brown probably is well aware of all the criticism that he's getting from the fans. And he hears that fans don't want to see Deggie anymore. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we've been through this. Like we've been through it last year. We've been through it this year. We've been through the army game last year where, you know, he had a pretty solid, Season, he only threw four picks. And then in the army game, he completely self imploded. And we had to put in Austin Kendall. Um, you know, there, there's certain things like that that just don't change. And th- listening to the game over when I rewatched it, listening to the announcers say the same things that we say every day on this podcast, where he struggles under pressure. He has a trouble making, going through his progressions, making reads, making quick decisions. And these are all things that should come second nature to a quarterback. And not necessarily things that you should have to spend three or four years to correct. So, you know, I know the the win total, if we would say eight wins next year, you know, if that seems high to someone, I don't think it does. Because if you look at who are returning, you know, all those players that I named that are leaving in two years will be here next year. Then on defense, you still have Messador, you still have um, Jefferson, you still have, um, you know, Lance Dixon. You still have uh, both of our starting corners. Um, We're bringing a lot of guys back and we're bringing in new talent and young guys who are just starting to see playing time this year, like St. McLeod, who had a great game on defense um, in his first start. And Lionel Carr, who's started seeing playing time here in the past few weeks. I mean, there's talent on the team and next year should be a good year. So, um, yeah, I just I, I just think that it's important to set realistic expectations. And I think what we're saying here is pretty realistic. I mean, we shouldn't be making excuses for a coach who's picked this quarterback. Um, this is kind of the boat that he's chosen. And if he chooses Deggy next year and we only get six wins, then, you know, I have a feeling a lot more fans are going to jump off the ship. I mean, I'm happy that he won the past two games or not the past two games, but this game and hopefully next game um, and can get us bowl eligible and then hopefully win a bowl, get us the seven wins again. But I don't want to be a seven-win football team for Neil Brown's entire career. That's yeah. kind of cut and dry of it.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'm with you. Um, I mean, he did have a great game this past week, but, you know, like I was saying, that's what he does. I mean, Texas has terrible defense, and uh, he can put up really good numbers against average, below-average teams. But the the really good teams, he, he just struggles against against i don't know um maybe the offensive line will come back stronger and better next year and maybe that will help a lot um but yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel about it i mean we don't really have a lot of control over it so it kind of just is what it is i hope he gets better in the off season hopefully goes through his progressions better handles pressure better and you know maybe we can get eight to ten wins next year who knows but uh Um, if it's more the same next year, then man, fans are really going to turn on Neil Brown quick, but here's something amazing. If Deggie does return and does start for most of the season next year, he will finish second in all time passing yards at WVU. Um, after Saturday's game, he now ranks fifth. He just passed Pat white and currently has 6,143 career passing yards. Um, the record is Geno Smith. He has 11,662 yards. Um, now, nah, I mean, Deggie has no shot at passing that mark. But second place is Mark Bolger with 8,153 yards. If Daggy starts a majority of the games next year, he will easily pass that mark. That's only I'll be less than 2000 yards after Daggy starts Kansas and hopefully a bowl game. So I'm not going to lie. That kind of surprises me for as much hate as Daggy gets. And, and, you know, probably rightfully so. He might end up being our second all-time leading passer in school history.
0: Yeah. And I think that's that's something I had written down in my notes is that um and actually in one of the articles that I just wrote for the Voice of Motown website is that, you know, um I think it's part of a product of the system and scheme. I mean, a few things that something we've alluded to a few diff- times in other podcasts is that, Neil Brown kind of likes to be in that 60%, 40% pass-to-rush ratio. Um, So whoever the quarterback is is going to be passing quite a bit, and it seems like, especially since our offensive line is a little bit weaker, we definitely want to be passing the ball more, whether rightfully or wrongfully, Um, just because, you know, you can kind of avoid those losses with a short passing game more than you can so with a running game. But... um, you know, just because you're leading in yards doesn't necessarily make you good. I mean, the, the prime example is what two or three years ago in the NFL where you had Jameis Winston, who led the league in passing yardage, but he also led the league in interceptions. And that's kind of what Jared Deggy's doing, too. Um, and I know it's, you know, not an apples to apples comparison, but the Buccaneers weren't good that year. And um, sometimes you throw more when you're losing. Sometimes you throw more because of the system that you're in. So, you know, you can't just point to yardage and say, hey, I'm a great quarterback because of that. It just, that's, those two aren't correlated. It's about scoring touchdowns. It's about passer rating. It's about completion percentage and not turning the ball over. And Deggy doesn't fill all those boxes. Now, I'm still rooting for him next year if he does win the starting job over the other competition that's coming in. I'm still going to root for the Mountaineers. I still want them to win. I'm not going to hope for the, the sink, the, 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 ship the sink just because daggy's quarterback i don't hate the guy um i just want to have a better option and have a true competition to see if there is a better quarterback on the roster next year which you know from the way coaches talk about goose um it sounds like he's really good um and if he does transfer i'm gonna be really disappointed just because it sounds like he has all the talent in the world um to to take the job now that may not translate on to, onto the field but I just want a fair competition and get the best guy out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you about the competition. Here's the other thing that concerns me a little bit is if goose and green leave, then Neil Brown's got to start bringing in quarterbacks almost immediately because you have Daggy and Nico and Daggy will be gone at the end of next year. So then you'll, you'll have a very thin quarterback room. So I don't know we'll we'll see how it works out. I'm with you. I mean, I'm rooting for him. I hope he proves everyone wrong and comes out and has an amazing sixth <laughs> senior year. But uh um yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's interesting. I don't blame Daggy, I don't you, you know, for um breaking the news when he did. More than likely, if I had to guess, ESPN reporters saw that he wasn't walking and then they probably asked started asking him a bunch of questions and it probably just all unraveled if I had to guess. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth talking about.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think there's, you know, um, just the organization of it all. There, there's better ways to kind of get ahead of a question like that. I mean, I know when we were sitting in the the parking lot tailgating before the game, you know, we were all psyched for the game. And then we heard that. I, I don't think it really took too much away, but there was kind of a, a brief wave of, of disappointment. Like, man, come on, we're having a good time. Um, so, you know, I, I would like to, you know, hear it come from the coach's mouth or the player's mouth in a, you know, WVU sanctioned press conference or something like that before I hear it come from ESPN because they know nothing about our university despite the re- despite the research that their producers do for them and who's talking in their earpiece. So, um, I don't know, as a fan, I would like to hear it come from our guys first. I know that's, you know, maybe um, being a little too picky, but, you know, it is a WVU issue, so um you know, it's kind of kind of disappointing to hear it come from elsewhere.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on. Let's start talking about how the offense did on Saturday. Um, let's start with Jared Dagie. So everybody criticizes him when he has a bad day, and rightfully so. But uh, let's give the kid some credit. He had a nice game last Saturday. 290 yards, three touchdowns. And most importantly, zero turnovers, took care of the ball, didn't give Texas good field position. Um, And he had some big down third, some big third down conversions that we already discussed. And here's the biggest thing for me. He connected with nine different receivers on Saturday, Uh, so spreading the ball around. And all of this led to him being the Big 12 player of the week. So what are your thoughts on Deggie's performance?
0: Yeah, I thought he played well. I mean, there there are a few things that, you know, I could pick at, but ultimately completing 63% of his passes, 290 yards, three touchdowns, as you alluded to, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. Um, You know, he helped get us out to that lead early in the the first half. I mean, if you look at the kind of play splits in that first quarter, we passed the ball um, 17 times compared to seven times rushing, and we scored twice. So that was all Jared Deggy getting the ball downfield, um, you know, like you said, I, he, he spread the ball around well, um, you know, we had some nice touchdown passes to Sam James, Winston Wright, uh, Sean Ryan. Um, you know, I felt like he had some nice downfield shots um, in the first half. Um, not really a criticism of Deggie, but, you know, I felt like once again, we kind of let the foot off our ga- off the gas a little bit in the second half too. Um, you know, the one thing I noticed is we ran the ball more, which I am not complaining about at all. I like that, but we took less downfield shots. Um, so, you know, in the first half we threw, um, it looks like five, six or seven downfield shots at least, um, for, for some big plays. But in the second half, you know, we weren't really throwing any, I think we maybe threw half that amount. So we were throwing primarily flats and stops and drags and slants, kind of Neil Brown's kind of bread and butter, what he likes to call. Um, when he's running his offense. So, um, I'm not sure if Texas made adjustments to take those throws away or if we were just kind of sitting on the lead. Uh, again, that's not an indictment on, um, Deggie at all. I, I just think, you know, I, I would like to see us be a little bit more aggressive and, and not have it come down to the last possession.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what West Virginia loves to do. I think we've only won two games this year by, you know, more than one possession. So, um, that's just the nature of West Virginia football nowadays. Uh, but yeah, like we said, good job getting everyone involved, keeping everyone happy. And plus, Winston Wright was the leading wide receiver with 67 yards. So it just goes to show that, you know, these weren't like two-yard catches everyone was getting. Everyone was contributing and picking up nice yardage. Uh, credit to the O-line. They, they had a good day blocking, keeping the pocket clean for Dagie, which, um, as we know, I mean, that's important for him to have a big day.
0: Oh yeah, and then um, also, uh, you know, just to kind of round out the receivers. You had Sam James with five catches and sixty yards and a touchdown as well. And then uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton in the half that he played had, I think it was what four catches or three catches for forty some yards, and then another four from Prather for forty some yards as well. So, um, like you said, just just a great way and great day to spread the ball around. Um, and I thought he handled it well. I mean, the, the one thing that I was impressed with too, that we kind of alluded to um, before we jumped into this is that, you know, he had those two back-to-back sacks in the third quarter and he came back and completed that 19 yard pass to Winston Wright for the first down on a third and 19. And then a couple plays later hit another 20 yarder. Um, you know, I feel like those moments before are moments where Deggie would kind of fall apart. And on that, third and 19th row he stepped into the pocket really nicely he didn't run he didn't panic he got the ball out the right and delivered a nice pass so um you know just I would like to see more of that from him that calm and collectedness to make a big play instead of panicking and just kind of doing something haphazard so kudos to him for kind of figuring it out and having the confidence to go out there and make plays when he needed to
1: absolutely yeah great day by Jared Dagie. Um, But also, Letty had a big day, 158 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, Letty has 909 rushing yards for the season, and it looks like he has a good chance of eclipsing 1,000 yards this year, which halfway through the season, a lot of us were questioning whether that was going to happen or not. So that's good to see. Uh, This was definitely one of his best performances of the season. What do you think?
0: Oh, he was incredible. Um, So this is a stat from Neil Brown that they said they – pulled internally. So I'm not exactly sure if it's accurate or biased in any ways, but they said he forced 10 missed tackles and had 102 yards after contact. Um, So just for context, he had 158 yards rushing. Um, So about what two thirds of that sounds like it came after contact, which is just incredible. And that's even with him only real uh, us only running the ball seven times in the first quarter. So just kind of goes to show how much we leaned on him later in the game. Um, you know we were once again kind of starting to use some variation in the running game again too and I've talked about this several times before and it seems like some games we like to kind of do different things and other times we just kind of like to run those RPO dives but when we needed a first down when we wanted to kill some clock we were running a lot of outside zone out of that pistol formation three wide receivers with the tight end and Letty was killing it out of that he was he had over six yards per carry on there and he was just shredding the, the Texas defense, finding a corner, going up against linebackers and uh, defensive backs and just driving through them. I mean, his power is evident. I mean, he is so strong and willing to just run through anything. And, you know, he, he really seemed to want to make his last game at Mountaineer Field special. And he certainly did.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. He's definitely going to be missed next year. It'll be interesting to see who steps up and and takes over the running back position next year. Obviously, you know, Tony Mathis would be an easy guess, but uh, who knows? We're a long ways away from that. Also, uh, the offense was four for four in the red zone. All touchdowns, which is great to see. So you can't really ask for a much better red zone game than that.
0: No, definitely. I mean, it's encouraging too, because I mean, you know, one thing that we um, complained about with Deggy before is that he couldn't throw touchdowns in the red zone and he was doing it. So, um, you know, I love that we were doing it. We still tried to run the ball some, we got Letty a touchdown. Um, So that was great. And then another thing is, you know, despite allowing three sacks, I felt our offensive line was pretty good too. I mean, I know Texas's pass rush isn't really anything to write home about, but we kept Deggie upright for most of the game. He was able to pass the ball a lot and not get hit. Um, and that's important because, you know, that's when he's at his best.
1: Yeah, definitely. I thought the O-line played great. Um, and, you know, one of those three sacks was on a very, you know, questionable trick play, which we'll get into in a little bit. So, um, yeah, kudos to the O-line. I, I thought they played excellent.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: All right. So, you ready to get into it?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: All right. So before we get into the defense's uh, performances, because defense did have a nice game, let's discuss some of the head-scratching decisions from Neil Brown on Saturday. Now, win or lose, head coaching decisions are always going to be analyzed. That's just the nature of the job. Um, I don't want to be overly critical in a game where West Virginia won. But I think they're worth discussing. Uh, The first one was a decision to go with back-to-back trick plays early in the first quarter. The first one was a cool play. I actually like this design a lot. And that's where um, they put Garrett Green in the running back position. Daigie gave Green the ball real quick. And it allowed him to roll out to the right and find Winston Wright on the 11-yard pass. Um, I like this play a lot. I thought it was very creative and obviously it was effective. It worked. It got us a first down. However, the very next play, they do this off-tackle handoff to Letty, and uh, he reverses it to Reese Smith. Then Reese pitches it back to Jared Dagey for a flea flicker pass. Um, it turns into a sack for a huge loss, and the drive, of course, ends in a punt after that. Uh, maybe I'm being too critical, but why would you call back-to-back trick plays like this? And especially one that is long develop developing like it was, you know, it wasn't like a quick hitter, kind of like the green play. Like this one took a lot of time for it to work. And, uh, it's just hard for me to believe that you would catch a defense off guard on back-to-back trick plays. And plus West Virginia, here's the biggest thing for me. They had good field position. We were around the 50. We were already up seven, nothing. And it took away a drive where, you know, we probably would have ended up with points, even if it was a field goal, and then it turns into a punt. So I didn't like that decision at all. How about you?
0: No, I thought it was weird. And the first thing I thought um, after seeing those plays was, is Neil Brown trying to copy Mike Gundy after that Oklahoma State game that we played? Because they kind of did the same exact thing where they ran back-to-back trick plays. Um, Both of them were kind of broken, and I think the only way that they gained yardage was due to a breakdown in the defense where they were able to scramble and get some yardage. Um, Obviously that didn't happen for us, but you know, it's, it's really strange, especially when we haven't really seen any trick plays at any other time in the season. Um, And, you know, our offense was moving as is. So, you know, I think after that first trick play, I think we should have used the momentum we got from that to keep driving down the field and then save that other one for later in the game. If we need it, save it for another opponent. I mean, it's creative, but, you know, defenses are going to react differently whenever they've just gotten beat by a trick play. So um, it was just really strange. I mean, I I don't understand the kind of logic behind it. I don't even know like what they planned on doing, especially since it took so long to develop. And it seemed like the defensive linemen were in the backfield almost immediately. So who was that ball being planned to being thrown to? Um, You couldn't really tell from the, the, the game film. So I don't know what the end goal was there. Um, Just really strange. And, you know, I I would like for more thoughtful decisions to be made in the future.
1: Yeah, definitely a weird decision. The next one, this is one that had a lot of fans talking. Um, It was a decision to go for it on fourth and five with 43 seconds left on the Texas 36 yard line. And this was at the end of the game. I understand not kicking a field goal there. That's a 53-yarder, uh, so I don't mind that decision. While I was watching the game, I wanted Coach Brown to punt, but uh, I liked his explanation after the game. He convinced me going for it was the right call. He kind of went through his thought process. Um, he didn't want to have to worry about something being blocked and taking back to for a touchdown, uh, but the decision to bomb it into the end zone was called into question by a lot of fans, and uh, I kind of get it. You don't want to risk a pick six either if you, you know, if you are just throwing a short, you know, a little hitch route. But uh, I am not sure that was the play call that I would have dialed up. So, what are your thoughts on that decision?
0: Yeah, I was in the camp of kicking the field goal, and looking back at it, it probably wasn't the best decision to do there. Um, You know, I think there's definitely an argument made to punt it because, you know, you have a better chance of pinning them back. Um, You know, you're gaining at least 16 yards if you could kick it out of the back of the end zone. Um, And I do think it's okay to go for it. And But, you know, like you said, the play call is is interesting. Um, I'm not sure what else I would have done. Because, I mean, the the thing is, watching that replay um, to prepare for this, it wasn't that far off from being completed and that would have ended the game right there. So like, I know, you know, you're thinking about, you know, putting the nail in someone being aggressive. I love that, but you know, the kind of the risk that's there, um, a deep pass, you're holding the ball a little bit longer. Someone gets through strip sack, they run it back or you throw a Mm -hmm. pick and they get blocking Mm -hmm. downfield and then they run that back. Um, I think it's better to go safe there, Mm -hmm. run a screen, run, you know, a short slant and just kind of see what you can get, Um, you know, run a outside run to Letty or something. I mean, I think there's a lot more safer options that you can do. Like I said, I do like the aggressive play call, but in that situation, I would definitely prefer to be a little bit less aggressive, especially when you have an eight point win. There's so little time left. Just close the game out. Um, Take a little chance, but not something where something catastrophic could happen.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, at the time, of course, everyone was like, what was that decision? But, you know, like I said, after Neil kind of explained what he was thinking, I was cool with it. I honestly had a bigger beef with the back to back trick plays at the beginning of the game. I thought that was a more of a weird decision. But, um, you know, we're not we're not trying to be too critical. I just thought it was worth having a discussion about. Yeah, so, Yeah. So let's get into the defense. It's not too often a defense gives up over 200 yards rushing and you still consider it a good day, but that's where I stand. I think the Mountaineer defense played well. They forced four straight three and outs to start the game. They only allowed two third down conversions for the entire game. And other than one 52 yard touchdown pass to Worthy, um, I thought they shut down the passing attack of the Longhorns. So, I mean, granted, Texas had some drops, which helped West Virginia. But overall, solid day from the D. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I I like the way they opened and closed. I think the second and third quarter, you could kind of say they played bad or played, you know, halfway decent, and you wouldn't be wrong. Um, you know, and a lot of that came because they, they made Texas made adjustments. And, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, despite – him probably not being a very good head coach, he's a great offensive mind. He has been everywhere that he's been. And he figured out a way to get his offense moving. Um, you know, Keelan Robinson started seeing touch-ins in the second quarter. Um, he had nine carries for 111 yards and the touchdown, including a really long touchdown run um, where W was just being way too aggressive. Um, I think it was a die was the safety on that play. And he came up um, and just completely whiffed on the tackle, which last line of defense – you don't want him making that play. Um, so, you know, I feel feel like, you know, he provided a spark when they put in a Hudson card in the second half. He provided a spark as well. Um, but WV recovered, you know, they closed out when they had to. That fourth quarter that they had was exceptional. I mean, um, Texas had two shots there with under five minutes left to come down the field and tie it up. Uh, WV got a pick and then uh, got a four and out. Um, and was able to get in the victory formation and kneel it down. So they played well when they needed to. And that's what matters most.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Texas has such a great rushing attack. It's hard to slow them down. And although Johnson, yeah, you already mentioned this, but Johnson got a majority of the handoffs. It was Keelan Robinson who stole the show. I mean, that kid's going to be good. He had 12.3 yards per carry, a 49-yard touchdown run, and he's only a sophomore. So – You know, I mean, I know the future's not looking very good for Texas, but um, their running back room is stacked, especially with uh, the other Robinson coming back next year, maybe. Uh, another uh, I think he
0: has to, doesn't he? I don't know if he's a redshirt sophomore or not.
1: Yeah, uh, Yeah, you might be right. But, yeah, so, I mean, it's looking up from, you know, at least on offense for them. But quarterback position, rough day from Casey Thompson. Uh, We already mentioned the drops, you know, that wasn't helping him early on in that game, but uh, he definitely could have played better. However, I think freshman Hudson Card, uh, he looks like he has some potential and he's only, like we said, a freshman. So, um, you know, if you're a Texas fan, obviously, you know, they're, they're not used to having super down years like this year, but there's there's a lot of potential coming back on offense next year. And that goes without saying how good Xavier um, Worley mm-hmm. is. So, um, but yeah, West Virginia seemed to drop eight back in coverage a lot. I heard Neil Brown talking about how that was the strategy coming in. So um, I'm sure that's a reason why they gave up a lot of rushing yards is because they, they kind of wanted to force the, the quarterbacks to beat them and and not allow a lot of big plays. And the strategy worked. I mean, we got the win. So big shout out to St. McLeod and Jackie Matthews. Charles Woods was out, so they had to move Matthews to cornerback. And they put the freshman St. McLeod in the starting spear position. And um, you know, I thought they both played great. What are your thoughts on their performances?
0: Yeah, I think they did pretty well. Um, The only kind of complaint that I had with Matthews was uh, not really his call, but um, they left him one-on-one with Xavier Worthy on that 52-yard touchdown pass. And you know, that's just not a battle he's going to win very often. Uh, I think kind of whenever you see that matchup as a defensive coordinator or as the defensive uh, captain on the the defense, um, you got to audible and say, hey, you know, we need to put a safety over the top of this guy because something big could happen. And it did. But um, obviously it didn't come back to bite us. Um, You know, and it's great to see, you know, someone like uh, St. McLeod come in, someone who hasn't really played at all all that I can think of all season and fill in and play well um, when really kind of that middle portion of our defense is so banged up um, from linebacker to safety, um, you know, losing Kerry Martin. I mean, I, I feel like we're just throwing any healthy bodies that we can in at linebacker and safety at this time, just because we're so banged up and the defense was able to make that adjustment and, you know, throw in some new guys and they were able to step in and really not lose too much of a beat. So um, really impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, credit to them. That's not easy to do. I even heard Neil Brown talking about how, you know, Jackie Matthews has played a ton of different positions um, this year, last year. And, you know, that takes takes a lot of talent and knowledge of the game to be able to do that. So I give him a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, like we said earlier, Texas's passing attack was really non-existent for most of that game. So uh, nothing but props to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, to allude to the the passing attack, I mean, in the first half, I mean, this was all Thompson at quarterback, but uh, 13 passes for 29 yards. Um, They didn't really get their passing game going until the second half with Card where he had 15 attempts for about 123 yards. Now, 50 of those yards, 52 of those yards were um, to Worthy on that long touchdown pass. So you could say. 14 attempts for 71 yards, I think that what the math would be. So, you know, it doesn't sound as great when you take away that bomb. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the defense was great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you got anything else for the D?
0: No, that was it. Um, I'm ready to move on to Kansas.
1: Let's do it. Yeah, because we're going to preview the Kansas game today as well. The West Virginia Mountaineers are 15.5.15. Yeah. 15 and a half point favorites first, the Kansas Jayhawks this Saturday in Lawrence, Kansas. You can watch the game on FS1 at seven o'clock and uh, quite literally a win or go home game for the Mountaineers. If they win, they are in a bowl game. If they lose, then they finish the season with a losing record and miss out on a bowl game. So, I don't know about you, but I predict a double-digit win for the Mountaineers for once. <laughs> Kansas doesn't have a defense that causes a lot of pressure, and uh, I, ca- I can't see their offense having success versus a tough Mountaineer defense.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm going to talk about their offense first because I-, I think it's a tale of two sto- two halves, or not even halves, I think, um, games. Um, so the first nine games... Um, they played uh, a couple other quarterbacks, but the past two games, their quarterback has been Jalen Daniels and he has been, you know, for no other way to put it explosive. Um, so on the season, typically, uh, Kansas has not scored over 20 points a game very often. Um, but in the last two games with Jalen Daniels, at quarterback, they scored 57 and 28, um, And he's also improved on their passing game. I mean, this is a passing attack that only threw for 14 total touchdowns on the season with 60% completion percentage. But in the two games that Daniels has started, he's thrown for six of those 14 touchdowns um, with a 69% completion percentage, one interception, um, and 611 yards. Um, He's not only a passer, but he's also a runner. He has 82 yards in those past two games on 17 carries and two touchdowns. So just to kind of you know mesh it all together over two games this sophomore quarterback that has just started his first two games for Kansas has put up nearly 700 yards of offense, eight touchdowns um, and only one interception um so I'm kind of worried about him. Um, I'm not sure how much of his real because Texas and TCU's defense aren't great but momentum can go a long way and if a guys coming in with some confidence, Who knows what can happen? So uh, what do you think of Jalen Daniels?
1: Yeah, their offense has looked completely different since Jalen Daniels has taken over. Um, I think this kid, he could have a bright future in Kansas. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of fans excited because, I mean, I can't remember the last good quarterback Kansas has had. It's probably been over a decade. Um, And like you said, he can make plays with his arm. He can make plays with his feet. Um, however, I don't think the sophomore will give West Virginia's defense a ton of fits. Daniels, he's had some nice game for Texas and TCU, but I think the Mountaineer defense is a whole nother animal compared to those two teams.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And that's kind of one, you know, key to success that I have against Kansas. If you really need one, um, is that Kansas, despite allowing the third least sacks against their offensive line, isn't very good. So, you know, I think with WVU's, really good front four or front three or front four, depending on which defense we're playing, um, you know, we can generate some pressure and, you know, Jalen Daniels has only been sacked twice. He's had three, he's been hurried three times in the past two games. So he's had clean pockets. Um, WV needs to change that and kind of see what the young youngster can, uh, can handle back there. Um, obviously it's, it's important to keep a linebacker back there to spy because he will run on you, but I think if you do those two things, um, especially with how banged up their running backs are, um, you could probably give him a tough time and maybe have him go out with his worst performance to date.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I do think he has talent, you know, I'm not trying to downplay him. i i watched some of the Texas game. I didn't get to see a whole lot of his performance in the TCU game, but it, it looked decent on the stat sheet. Um, but but yeah, you know, um I I hope the Mountaineer defense contains him and I think they will, but um uh, if he does get going, his go-to target without a doubt is Kwame Lassiter, I believe is how you say it. The senior yep. had 68 yards versus Texas, 101 yards versus TCU. Um, if the Mountaineers want to slow Jalen Daniels down, they need to take away his favorite target.
0: Oh yeah, and he is a slot receiver, so this is gonna come under the the linebackers and safeties watch that keep Lasseter in check. And, and, you know, kind of going back to Daniels, you know, um, looking at Lasseter and the other receivers on that offense, you know, Daniels likes to push the ball downfield a little bit. Um, He has 22 uh, passes of 10 or 22 passes or rushes of 10 plus yards um, compared to 44 of, you know, 10 or less. So 33 of his completions and rushes go for more than 10 yards. He also has six completions of more than 20 yards, which is about 10% of all of his attempts. So, um, he, he will try to push the ball downfield on you. Um, and it's even more important to put his favorite target under a blanket to make sure he can't hurt your defense.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And, uh, discussing their, their running attack, um, I mean, we're we're recording this on Tuesday, so maybe the news will change by Saturday. But Devin Neal, their starting running back, did not practice on Monday. So I would watch for his status this week to see if he's going to play. And if not, I assume then um, Pesic Hickson is their freshman. He'll probably get a decent amount of handoffs, whether Neal suits up or not, because if he's banged up, I'm sure they're going to give the backup um, some carries as well. He's had about nine carries these past. Um, each of the past two games, so either one, neither one of these backs are really jumping off the charts for me. Neil is a decent halfback; um, he's had some decent games, but if he's banged up, I think the West Virginia defense can bottle him up, even if he does play. And the freshman hasn't really had one solid game all season, so I don't think he's, you know, going to have his breaking out party against the stout WVU defense. What do you think?
0: No, I, I think Neil's solid. I don't think he's someone who's going to single handedly beat you. Um, you know, normally when he has it, gets over 100 yards, that's when they're scoring the most points, not necessarily winning. Um, so scoring over 20 points, which isn't very much. Um, they do like to run the ball more than they pass, even with Daniels back there. So getting an even younger guy back there, you know, who is even less experienced than Neil, who is a true freshman himself. Um, you know, might even put more pressure on to Daniels, which against a defense like WVU um, is going to be a tough task. Like, like, like we said. said um, the one thing that they do have kind of going for them is that they are a lot better on third down with Daniels out there um, kind of over the past two games. Um, so on third and um, eight plus yards, they can com- be, they're completing nine of 16, Um Five at five of eleven of third and seven plus nine of sixteen on third and five plus. They're also a hundred percent in the red zone. All touchdowns nine for nine with Daniels back there. So, um, I don't know. It just seems like WV's banged up. Kansas is banged up, and every team that we're facing right now is kind of banged up too. So it's really kind of throwing a wrench into uh, you know the way teams are going to operate. Um, but I think WV's defense, the key players are there to take advantage of those depleted rosters especially of Kansas who doesn't have a lot of talent as is
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to like underestimate them or anything, but like I keep saying, I just think, you know, our defense is going to be way too much for them. So, uh which leads me, you're ready to get into Kansas's defense? Yep. Oh, they have a defense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. I mean, there's really <laughs> no other way to put this. Kansas defense sucks i mean they are very good they allow almost 500 yards a game they allow almost 43 points a game they don't pressure the quarterback very well which wvu thrives on and uh they don't stop the run very well and from what we've seen this year when west virginia can run the ball and when daigie has a clean pocket our offense can do some damage. So not unless Texas comes out here with some amazing game plan, I really don't see them slowing the Mountaineers down.
0: Yeah. I mean, really the only player that I've seen on their team that is good um, and no, no offense to the rest of the guys, but the only one who kind of has potential to be disruptive is Kyron Johnson Um, leads the team in tackles for loss with seven and a half leads the team in sacks with six and a half, which is literally half of Kansas's total for the year, they have 13. Um, you know, he plays right end, so he'll probably line up over um Brandon Yates. Um, but other than that, I mean, they really don't have a lot going for them. they they, every stat is basically autumn bottom of the country, talking 130th, 120th, 125th across the board. Um, you know, so teams have no problem moving the ball on them. I just, you know, want WV to not go out there. And overthink things, just go out there and do what you're comfortable with. Um, don't do anything stupid and don't get too um, overcomplicated and just put points on the board against this team. Cause they're going to let you do that.
1: Yeah. 100%. I mean, Kansas, they are allowing teams to convert 56% of their third downs. That's crazy. They, they aren't very good in the red zone either. It's just hard to find a lot of positives about this Kansas football team um the the one good thing I saw from them they're plus three in the turnover margin so credit to them for that they don't turn the ball over a lot they have 11 turnovers lost and 14 takeaways but um I mean I know every single guy playing on their defense has you know more talent in their pinky than I do in my whole body but I mean they're just they're just not very good I mean there's just no reason the West Virginia offense can't have success on Saturday
0: the one thing that I thought was uh, not to pile on Kansas, but the one thing that I thought was really interesting um, is that on third and seven and nine, which, you know, WVU is not um, uh, immune from going in a game. Um, half of the attempts against Kansas go for 15 yards or more. So on third and seven, they're allowing twice as many yards as the team needs half the time. So uh, maybe WVU can do some of those things if they want to run some more of those trick plays in uh. Get themselves <laughs> bailed out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just like w- what you were just saying, I hope they don't try to get too cute with anything. You know, I'm not against trick plays, but I mean, don't go over there and overthink it. Run the ball with Letty. You know, take shots with Daggy because you're probably going to have clean pockets. If, if they just go out there and handle their business, this should be a double digit win for West
0: Virginia. Definitely. And hopefully it's not a game we have to worry about too much. I know. Like we said, um, Kansas has been past two games have been close. They lost by three points to TCU. Um, they beat Texas by one in overtime. But, you know, a lot of that was because their offense was able to move the ball. It had nothing to do with their defense, really. Um, and those are two teams that are in Texas and tech, the TCU that are reeling um, and maybe on the lookout for new coaches next year.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't have anything in the special notes. Do you have anything you want to mention before the good, the bad, and the hope?
0: No. Um, the only thing to, to mention is, um, you know, there's a basketball game on Friday. Um, but, you know, we're going to be doing a podcast later in the week to uh, kind of recap the tournament um, over the past weekend and uh, preview for the next couple games. So uh, be sure to keep an eye out for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So let's get into it. My good for the week is the performance of the Mountaineer offense when their offense is gaining first downs and winning the field position battle. um, There's not too many teams West Virginia can't compete with. So credit to West Virginia's offense for always giving the Mountaineer defense room to work with on Saturday. Um, Like I said, if we do that versus most teams, we can be competitive. So my bad, it's hard to find a bad after a game like that. It's easy to say run defense, but um, as we were saying earlier, I think that was part of the strategy coming into the game. Coach Brown said the plan was to give Texas the, the running room and drop eight to ensure we don't allow a lot of big plays. So I'll just say my bad would be if West Virginia ends this year with a losing season, which takes me to my hope. I hope West Virginia takes care of business this Saturday. There's absolutely zero reasons why WVU should lose this game. The Mountaineers have everything to play for, while Kansas has very little. The only thing I can think of is it's their senior day. Uh, Credit to their coach, who seems to be doing a decent job there in his first year. Um, I don't question Kansas's effort. Um, They seem to play hard for him. Um, but Kansas, you know, this team this year, they're just overmatched. They're, they're playing a top three big 12 defense in West Virginia and the Mountaineers want to make a bowl game. So let's beat an underwhelming opponent. Let's end this year on the high note. I still need to see a bowl win to call this year a success. A losing season should be unacceptable to those coaches and players. And I'm sure they would tell you the same exact thing. They would not be happy with a losing season. So, uh, I want them to win. I, I I'm sure they want to win more than us, but, um, I want to get a win Saturday and get one step closer to a winning season. I predicted seven to eight wins coming into this season. Eight wins is out the door. Seven wins is still possible. So let's go and get win number six
0: this week. Let's do it. Um, so my good is uh, a little bit more specific. I'm going to go with Letty Brown. Um, what a way to close out his career at Mountaineer field. I mean, um, he wants to get a thousand yards and he really showed it, um, this past week. I mean, he's been running hard the past few weeks and he got a little sloppy against Kansas state, but against Texas, he was, he was going at it. Um, it looked like no one could bring him down or really wanted to bring him down. He was just running so physically. So, um, I love kind of seeing him back to the form he was in last year where he was just a monster running in between and outside the tackles. Um, you know, definitely one of the most fun players to watch on our roster right now with the way that he runs. Um, My bad was um, the big plays that we gave up on on defense. Um, You know, we we, we allowed two long touchdowns. Other than that, the defense was pretty solid. You know, that's really the only complaints I can find. I mean, just kind of a little bit sloppy um, on the play calling side, and then on the execution side on the run um, on those two plays. So, you know, just Kind of minor things to complain about in the win, but those were two bad things that happened. Uh, my wish is that we go into Kansas and we come out healthy, um, especially on the defense. Our defense is banged up. Um, we have some guys hopefully returning soon, um, but we cannot afford to have anyone else go down with injury. Um, I, I really just want to see us go, go out there, get a nice win, get our starters some rest if we can and get ready for who we ever match up in the bowl game that might be looking too far ahead, but, um, it's hard not to look past Kansas. So just want our guys to stay healthy. Um, especially when, especially in the secondary where we're already so banged up.
1: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, and that's it for us guys. We appreciate you listening. Um, like Brandon already said, be sure to check out Chuck, us out later in the week probably gonna do an episode on friday about um west virginia basketball how they did in the tournament what games are coming up and um that is it enjoy your thanksgiving please check us out on follow us on spotify apple podcasts uh, wherever you prefer getting your podcast, we're pretty much everywhere. And as always, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for the Voice of Motown podcast. We're a completely separate page than Brad's Voice of Motown. So please follow Brad's page and our page. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Let us know what you don't like about the podcast. And as always, you know, reach out to us, talk to us about sports. Uh, whether it's good or bad, we are open to talking to anyone.
0: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode and um, happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
1: That's it for the Voice of Motown podcast. We will catch you guys on Friday.
0: Thanks, everyone.